Well, good morning, Stevens Creek Church. Welcome to the Grovetown Campus, South Campus, and all around the world online. You guys are on vacation, watching from the beach or wherever you are. We're so glad that you guys are here. And I'm super pumped about the start of this new series. If you are maybe connected to my wife, Ashley, or me on social media, you've probably seen pictures from the Holy Land over the last couple weeks. And we've had quite an adventure. It's so good to be home back in the Eastern time zone. It's been great to be back but it was incredible, and we're excited over the next, next four weeks to share, share some of that with you as we open up the scriptures together, because so many great things happened, so many amazing spiritual moments happened, but then there were also just some, some funny moments. Like, for instance, as soon as we landed in Israel, and we get through customs and all that, and we're jet-lagged, and we're tired, and we make it to our tour bus, and the, one of the, the people who works for the tour company, her name is Anna, and she'd been emailing with us and FaceTiming with us to prepare for this trip. And she, she introduces herself and she pulls me aside and she has an, a question because you see some of the people who were on this trip came through our podcast. And she goes, yes, Dave, your podcast, it is called Naked Marriage. And I'm like, yes, that's what it's called. And she was like, yes. Um, does this mean that your group will expect to go to beaches where they can be naked? <laughs> and I said, yes, of course. No, <laughs> no, no. I was like, trust me, nobody wants to see this group naked. No, we will keep our clothes on the entire time. And she, I think she was very relieved. She was trying to be, trying to navigate some cultural differences. Like, I don't want to offend these guys. So that was my introduction to Israel. I was like, I promise we're going to keep our clothes on. That's not what the podcast is, is, is meaning. And we had a good laugh about it, but it reminded me how easy it is with a, with a language difference, with some cultural differences, to just have some misunderstandings, right? I mean, to, to misinterpret some things. And part of the reason why I wanted to do this series, The Footsteps of Jesus, is because I think you and I so easily can do the same thing when we're reading our Bible, when we're reading the stories of Jesus, when we're reading the Gospels, that we're reading it in a different language. We're reading it through the lens of a different culture, and we forget that Jesus didn't speak English. Jesus lived in a time and place and in a world that is vastly different culturally than the world that we live in. And so when we're reading these stories through our own cultural lens, it's so easy to misinterpret things. It's so easy to misunderstand some things. And so I want to make sure that we're we're walking in the footsteps of Jesus and having as a deep an understanding as possible to the world that he actually walked in and, and the words that he spoke and, and what it meant within the context of the culture that he spoke it in so that we can avoid those miscommunications because God wants us to know him fully and completely. And the more we can know him, the, the more we can understand his word, the more we're gonna know, we're, we're gonna know Jesus, we're gonna know our savior, which is his desire for every single one of us. And so the main point of this whole series, and one we're going to come back to each week, is this, this principle, if you're following along in the notes, and it's that the more we can understand the world where Jesus walked, the more we'll understand his plans for our world today. I, I really believe that. that the more we're, we understand the world he was in, that he was teaching in and living in, doing his miracles in, then the more the gospel is going to come to life in our world. In, in 21st century America, to, to know how he wants us to live right where we are in this time and in this place. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to look at Jesus's life. It's broken into four parts. Today's going to be the birth and the early days of Jesus. We'll start with the birth and then kind of skip forward to the early parts of his ministry. 
Over the next couple weeks, we'll look at the teachings of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus. In the final week, we're going to look at the death and resurrection of Jesus. And through all of these, um, we've, I, I made some videos while we were in Israel from the spots where these miracles happened, where these teachings happened, so that you could come along. You know, you could be part of the experience. This would be an immersive experience we could enjoy together as we open up the Gospels and walk where Jesus walked so that we could know him even more. And so starting with the birth of Jesus, and that really starts with the question, why did Jesus come? Jesus came on a rescue mission, all right? When Jesus gave his own mission statement, he said it this way. He said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. And who are the lost? It's all of us. Every single one of us, our sin has separated us from God. Jesus came to be our rescuer. He came to live a perfect life, die on the cross, paying the penalty for your sins and mine so that the righteous judgment of God could be satisfied and we could be made in right standing with God again. Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave, rose from the dead, and through him we can have new resurrected life as well. He came to rescue us. You know, right now, one of the most popular movies, one I'm excited to see, I haven't seen yet, it's called Sound of Freedom. And it's a true story about a government agent who essentially left behind his comfort, his career, in many ways his whole life, to go and rescue children who were caught up in the horrendous trade of human trafficking, sex trafficking. Guys, we live in a world where there are millions of kids being stolen and bought and sold and abused in the worst kinds of ways. And this one guy said, God's children are not for sale. I'm willing to risk my life to rescue as many of them as I can. And Jesus came with that kind of attitude. He, don't, don't make the mistake of thinking Jesus began to exist the moment he was born in Bethlehem or even the moment that he was conceived through the Holy Spirit in the womb of, of Mary. No, Jesus has always existed. The Bible's clear that Jesus is part of the, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has always been. Has always been in perfect harmony and community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he's outside of time. In fact, time was something God had to create just so you and I had a place to live. But Jesus has always existed, but there was a specific time in history 2,000 years ago when the Son of God, our Lord and Savior, came to earth in fulfillment of prophecy, was born into a human body, lived a life, walked this earth just like you and I walk, faced temptations just like you and I face, and that's what happened in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. But that's not when Jesus started to exist. Jesus has always been. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he came on a rescue mission for us, and he wants you to know him deeply and intimately. He wants to do life with you. So the Bible told us in the Old Testament what to look for when the Savior came. It, it said he's going to be born in Bethlehem, which Jesus was. It said he'd be born of a virgin, which Jesus was. It told us some of the attributes we could expect in him. Isaiah said he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. He is all those things and so much more. So when he arrived, he was the fulfillment of all these prophecies. And yet people still, many of them didn't recognize him as the Messiah because they weren't expecting him to be born to poor parents They weren't expecting him to be born without a title or without an army behind him, to live such a simple life in the early years like he did. But God always comes in surprising ways. And Jesus certainly, certainly did that. So I'm going to do something that that you probably haven't heard done outside of December in a long time. I want to read some of the, the, the Christmas narrative, the birth narrative 
Jesus from the Gospel of Luke, and this is maybe the first time in your life you're hearing these words read out loud in church when it's 100 degrees outside, right? So maybe this is going to put you in the Christmas spirit. You're going to want to to go home and make some hot cocoa and watch a Hallmark movie because you're going to be feeling Christmassy. But this passage isn't just for December. This, This is a reminder for us all year round of how Jesus came and why Jesus came. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, said, At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them, no room in the inn. Jesus was born in the most unexpected of ways, but in complete fulfillment to God's plan and God's prophecy. To two poor parents who rode into town on the back of a donkey and gave birth, not in a hospital, not in a hotel even, but in a barn because that was all that was available. And the only ones who, who were there to join with them in the celebration were these, these shepherds who were nearby keeping watch over their flocks. And it was, it was a random scene and yet it was beautiful. And the Bible says Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. So I went to, to Bethlehem on this trip and Bethlehem now is almost unrecognizable from what it was 2,000 years ago. We sing about the little town of Bethlehem and we picture it just being so quiet and still and shepherds out in fields. But over the last 2,000 years, Bethlehem has changed a lot. And so the first video from the Holy Land we're gonna watch is a short one from what is now Bethlehem. So let's take a couple minutes and watch this together. Hey friends, I am in the little town of Bethlehem that we sing about, but as you can see, it's not so much of a little town anymore. It's now a thriving city with a lot happening right now. This is the town where Jesus was born, and as you can see, I'm holding uh, a carving, Joseph, Mary, and baby Jesus. This is carved by uh, the Christian community here. The Christians in Bethlehem represent less than 1% of the population. It is primarily a Muslim city at this point, and in fact, the Christians who are here uh, face persecution, and one of the ways that they make a living is by hand carving olive wood into nativity scenes. And I'm holding one of them right now, this beautiful piece carved from one piece of wood, just some great artistry. But this city has a lot happening. Uh, it's, it's a thriving place with, with a lot of cultural tensions right now. There's a, there's a wall separating it from the rest of Jerusalem because this area is actually controlled by the Palestinian Authority. It's a, it's a spot in the world where there's great political tensions and religious tensions, and yet it's at this very place that the Prince of Peace came into the world 2,000 years ago. Jesus himself was born here in fulfillment of prophecy. He came, the Son of God came to rescue us. He came to rescue you and me and all of these folks driving around and everybody else who has ever lived. Jesus came for all of us. And when I'm here in Bethlehem, just taking in the sights and sounds and talking to all the different people, many of whom do not worship Jesus, I'm reminded that he is still a God who saves. He is still a God who has a plan for each and every one of us. And from the very humble beginnings here, being born in a manger, he went on from here to many, many great things. Of course, not only in his lifetime, 
but is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is our Savior forever and ever. And every time I sing a Christmas song from now on about Bethlehem after coming here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sing it in a new way, but I'm just so thankful for my Savior. And I don't have to come here to be close to him. That's what I was telling our group. You don't have to come to Bethlehem or Jerusalem to be closer to Jesus. What I love is that he is with us always. His Holy Spirit lives within us. And he is with you the same whether you're in Bethlehem or Augusta, Georgia, or anywhere else on earth. The coming here does give a special appreciation just for the history that we have in the faith. And also just for the artisanship of the folks who are keeping the story of Christmas alive through their, through their carvings. Well, guys, I've enjoyed our time here. I look forward to taking you to our next spot. I'll see you soon. <laughs> I didn't actually buy that nativity scene because it was super expensive. So um, I just told the guy at the store, like, it's a beautiful story. But I tell you what, can I take this outside and make a video? And I promise if I do, I'll tell the people at my church that if they're ever in Bethlehem to come to your store. So, so go to the Christian store in, in Bethlehem. But I left it, I left it there. <laughs> the time in Bethlehem was challenging because here I am in this place where Jesus was born and now I'm looking around in a city that doesn't accept him as Savior and Lord um, and in fact is, is hostile to the Christian community. But even within that hostility, it was a reminder that, that God's love can flourish even when hostility is all around us, that we can actually be in the center of God's will even when we're experiencing hostility in our own lives. I mean, Joseph and Mary were in the very center of God's will. I mean, can you imagine a more sacred job than the one they had? And yet their life was hard. They were, they were poor. They were alienated from their families because of this out-of-wedlock pregnancy that, that was God's design, but yet their families just cast judgment on them. They were hunted down by an evil king named Herod who was trying to kill Jesus because he was threatened by Jesus' authority and potential power. So they had to flee to Egypt as refugees where they didn't speak the language, they didn't know anybody, and they had to start raising up a baby in this community where they, they didn't know anybody. After several years of that, they came back, settled in a tiny little town called Nazareth, started to raise their family, still with some of the, the, the judgment of, of being that couple that got pregnant outside of marriage, which in this culture carried a huge stigma with it. Working hard as blue-collar laborer, Joseph was a carpenter. I mean, they, they lived a simple life with a lot of regular difficulties, but there was so much faith and so much joy. And even with the difficulties that came, they trusted in God, knowing that they were right where they needed to be. And if you're here today, you're watching online today, and you're facing some struggles in your life, that doesn't mean God has abandoned you. It doesn't mean that you're being punished now use those struggles as an opportunity to lean into your Savior even more because the Bible says he is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. And in some ways, we can experience God's love and presence like no other time than when we are going through difficulty. So don't, don't rush the difficulty away. Yeah, you can keep praying that God will remove it, but in the meantime, say, Lord, show me what you want me to learn in this time. Teach me what you want me to learn and help me to trust in you while I'm waiting. The birth of Jesus and the whole narrative of Jesus' birth is a reminder of that. Here's the next principle. Jesus' birth is a beautiful reminder that God is with us and he keeps all his promises. God promised from the beginning that the Savior would come, the Messiah would come. For century after century, he told us what to look for. And in the perfect time, Jesus came. And I'm sure people were tired of waiting. Is this promise ever going to happen? But God's timing is always perfect. And whatever in your life you're waiting for, 
You're waiting for, for God's timing. You're waiting, God, when is this going to happen? When am I going to get that job that I've been praying for? When am I going to get that spouse I've been praying for? God, w- when, when are we going to be able to start a family? When is this going to happen? God's timing, it's never the same as our timing. But his timing always proves to be perfect. And you can trust him while you wait. So now we're going to kind of skip ahead. We don't have a whole lot of details about Jesus' life between birth and the start of his ministry at around age 30. The few things in Scripture we do have is when, when he was, uh, you know, eight days old, his family took him to the temple to dedicate him, the same way we dedicate children, uh, you know, right, right here as a way to saying we're dedicating this child to the Lord. Uh, we know that um, when he was 12 years old, his parents were taking a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover with their whole community, and they, they lost Jesus in the big city of Jerusalem, and he, he was gone for a whole day before they knew he was lost. So you parents that lost your kid at Walmart for 15 minutes, don't feel bad. God puts these stories in the Bible to help us feel better. Joseph and Mary lost Jesus. On day three, they find him. He was teaching in the temple and he was teaching adults and these adults were blown away by his wisdom. And, and Joseph and Mary, you can see this tension. They're like, are we allowed to be mad at Jesus? He's perfect. He's God's son. I mean, I know we, we probably shouldn't spank him, but can we ground him? What are we supposed to do? He, I mean, it was this beautifully human comical moment of them wrestling with, we're frustrated. We don't know what to do with this frustration. And Jesus says, didn't you see that I have to be about my father's business? This is where I belong. But he went home with them. He submitted to their parental authority. And the Bible says he grew in favor with God and men. And then, and then we, we don't have, we don't have details until Jesus begins his public ministry at around age 30 years old. And he chooses to go public with his ministry in an unexpected way. Because again, nobody, no human could have scripted the path that Jesus took because it was God's design and not man's. And the, the first thing Jesus did was chose to be baptized, which is, seems strange to us because baptism is, is an outward expression of repentance, repenting from sin. And if you have no sin, you don't have anything to repent from. And so for Jesus to choose to be baptized as one who was without sin, it confused John the baptizer, Jesus' earthly cousin. John didn't want to do it. He's like, wait a second, you're the savior. You're, I, I can't baptize you. And, and Jesus said, just trust me. This is part of the plan. This needs to happen. And Jesus, in submission to the will of his father, chose to go public in this moment of baptism as a way to create the beginning of his ministry, and to show each of us something that you and I are called to do as followers of Jesus, because Jesus always goes first. When he tells us to serve, he went first by serving. You know, he tells us to be baptized as a public expression of our faith. He went first by being baptized. He always is willing to go first. And I'm going to open up the scripture to that moment of his baptism. There are several places in the Gospels where it's recorded, but this is from the Gospel of Luke. Just a chapter after the birth narrative, Luke chapter 3, picking up verse 21. It says, one day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son. You bring me great joy. In this one moment, the whole Trinity was present. God the Father speaks from heaven. God the Son in the flesh, Jesus being baptized. And God the Holy Spirit taking on a bodily form like a dove in this moment. The three who have always been one, who have always been united, each being displayed in their unique, unique oneness, their unique personalities in this sacred 
moment of baptism in the Jordan River. One of the highlights of our trip was being able to go to the Jordan River and do baptisms there. And uh, I had family with us. I got to to baptize some relatives who'd never been baptized before, which was a a great honor. Uh, And then my parents were there for baptizing them. And and I asked my my dad to baptize me in the water after I'd baptized him, which was just a, a really special moment, one that I'll always treasure. And we took a video. This is the second video from the Jordan River. So let's take a minute and watch this together. Hey friends, I am here today standing in the Jordan River. I cannot believe where I am and what just happened. This was a a real highlight of our trip and really of my life, frankly. Here in the waters where Jesus himself was baptized, our group made public professions of faith one at a time, and I was able to baptize them in these waters. And then my father who was on this trip with us, I asked him to baptize me in these waters. And as I told them, the water isn't magical, the water doesn't save you. But what is supernatural is what happens when we obey Christ in obedience and follow him into the waters of baptism, doing this outward expression of this beautiful internal change that his Holy Spirit's made possible the moment we put our faith in him, going under the water, showing that our old life is dead and buried, coming up out of the water, showing that now we have new life in Christ and our sin has been washed away. And just as he was raised from the dead, we too will be raised to new life. And I'm sorry if I'm dancing around a little bit. There are literally little fish that are like <laughs> nibbling on me or something. It is, it's wild. I can't believe where I'm standing. If you ever get the chance to come here, I encourage you to do it. But being in these waters, it's just a, a beautiful reminder of the power of Jesus. And you don't need to come here to get baptized. If you've not made that public profession of faith in Christ, or, then do it. And if you have done it already, but you haven't taken the next step, The Bible's clear. We need to take that next step in obedience and be baptized. We do it at our church all the time. Sign up for the next one. But you might be watching this online from somewhere else in the world. Go where you can be baptized. I promise this is a moment that you want to share with the Lord. There's nothing like it. I'm so thankful for what happened today. I'm so thankful for the gift of grace. I'm so thankful for the the beautiful gift of baptism. And I encourage you to do it soon if you haven't. I left off the point that goes with that because I got so excited about, about the baptism story. But if you're following along in the notes, it was this. Jesus' baptism is an act of obedience that all believers should follow. And, and like I, I said in the, in the video, but just want to repeat because I do think this is so important. If you haven't done it, if you have chosen to follow Jesus and you have not yet been baptized, then you're missing out. You're missing out on a moment, a beautiful moment that God wants to experience with you, a moment of celebration that your church family wants to experience with you. And so don't keep putting that off. Do it. I promise you it will be a highlight in your faith journey, in your walk with Jesus. And again, we we do it here all the time, and we would love to celebrate with you at our next next baptism. So what happened right after Jesus' baptism is for a period of 40 days, he went into the wilderness. During this period, he was fasting, which means he'd, he'd given up food as a way to, to, to just be more focused in on, on the things of, of the Spirit, to connect with his Heavenly Father. He was praying. He was seeking his Father's will. He was preparing his heart for the most important mission any human being had ever undertaken, which was his, his mission on earth over the next three years, as God in the flesh, as our Savior and Lord, to teach the truth, to gather and train his disciples, and ultimately to go to the cross and to give his life for us. But because he was human, he was a fully God, but he was also human, he experienced temptation, just like you and I experience temptation. 
And because our enemy knew who he was, he, he, he came after Jesus with temptation harder than he's ever come after anybody because he knew if he could trip up Jesus, the perfect son of God, then it would throw everything into disorder. And so Jesus, in a state of physical weakness, had to experience temptation from the enemy. And our enemy, by the way, the devil, he's not a guy in like red tights and a pitchfork. But what he is, is a master manipulator. He is a deceiver who will discourage and deceive and distract in any way that he can. And as children of God, he has no real power over us, but he will still try to discourage and to twist God's truth because the devil knows the Bible and to try to get you off track or to get you to think that God doesn't have your best interest at heart. And he came after Jesus with those temptations. And let's pick up the story. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and he became very hungry. During that time the devil came to him and said, If you really are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you're the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to a peak of a very high mountain. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. Jesus faces temptation. You and I will face temptation. But we don't face it alone because He is with us through it all. The final video today is from the wilderness where or near where Jesus was wandering in that wilderness and where these temptations were happening. And being there in that wilderness in the baking heat, it gave me so much respect for for Jesus spending time out there in the sun, in the elements. It's a merciless environment. But he did that physically weak to grow even closer to his father, and to commit fully to the mission that was ahead of him. So let's take a few minutes and watch this final video. Hey friends, I'm here near the border of Jordan in the wilderness, uh, where Jesus spent his 40 days in the wilderness after he was baptized. It was a 40 days preparing for his earthly ministry, praying, fasting, reconnecting with his Father in heaven, and facing temptation from the enemy right here in this wilderness. Satan came to him directly trying to tempt him. And how did Jesus respond to that temptation? The same way you and I are called to respond to temptation. He responded by using the word of God. Satan would come to him and say, hey, you're the savior. God can do anything through you. You're God in the flesh. You're hungry. You haven't eaten in weeks. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? And Jesus quoted scripture. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Satan took him up to a high place and said, jump off. Won't the angels save you? The Bible says he'll send his angels to to save you. Again, Jesus quoted scripture. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. One final time, Satan tried to tempt him in this wilderness. He said, if you'll worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. And Jesus again responded with the word of God, saying we should worship the Lord our God and serve him only. 
So even though Jesus was physically weak in those moments, through fasting, through prayer, through the heat, and I'm telling you guys, it is hot out here. I do not envy wandering around these, these deserts for 40 days. He was hot. He was tired. Physically, he was weak, but he was strong in spirit. He was strong standing on the word. And guys, you and I can be the same. Jesus gives us the same strength in whatever wilderness you are in right now, whatever heat, whatever temptation you're facing, know that Jesus is with you and the word of God will carry you through. We all face temptation. Jesus' temptation shows us that God's word is our most powerful defense against temptation. Satan can't stand up against the word of God. It's, it's, it's active, it's alive, it's our sword, the Bible says. It's our weapon in the fights that we fight. And so we need to know it. We need to put it within our own hearts. We, we need to meditate on it and study it and treasure it and savor it. It's God's way of speaking to us and directing us and, and helping us overcome the temptations because, guys, they're going to come. We all face temptation. Little temptations to cut corners, little temptations to to not follow God's plan when it comes to any part of life, you know, money or sex or any of it, to take the world's path instead, thinking that, well, maybe maybe God's word's outdated or maybe God's trying to hold me back from something. But friends, listen, God's word is never gonna steer you wrong. He's got nothing but good things in store for you. So don't fall for those lies. Don't fall for those temptations. Lean on God's word. He will always, always, always steer you in the right direction. I tell you one final story as we prepare to wrap up this first day and, and then pray together. Our tour guide, Tally, was just an exceptional, exceptional guide. She was so knowledgeable. And her and her husband, her husband's family, for generations had owned this olive grove, which is um, a place where, you know, olive trees, olive trees have grown for thousands of years. Jesus would have walked by and seen these olive trees like this. They've, they've, they've owned one of these, these groves where olive trees are grown and olive oil is made. She took us there and we're standing in this grove and she's telling us stories about the trees and we're sampling her olive oil, which is so delicious. And she talks about how hard it is to harvest because they each have to be plucked one at a time by hand. And during harvest, they have to bring in all these workers and, and migrant workers from some of the neighboring countries like Syria and Lebanon will come. And these are hardworking folks that come during the harvest time. And she said sometimes they've even had mothers who had just given birth a few weeks or months before bring their baby to the harvest, put their baby in the shade under a tree, climb up on ladders and, and, and harvest all day in the heat. And she said one of these moms was just a really strong woman. And she had two young kids with her, a, a toddler who was about three, and then a little baby who was only about a month old, which she kept in this box in the shade underneath the tree where she was working. And she told her three-year-old, you can play here and just keep an eye on the baby. And she would climb up in this ladder above the, above the baby, and one by one, she would, pick, she would pick these olives. Well, one day, her three-year-old yells up to her, Mom, Mom, come down quick. She said, there's a scorpion inside the box with the baby. And most of us, we hear scorpion and baby, and it's just like panic. If you tell me there's a scorpion, I'm running. I'm, I'm like running for my own life because I get scared of bugs. I'm, I'm calling for Ashley to kill it. Sweetie, kill it. It's a bug. It doesn't even take a scorpion. I mean, I'm that way with all kinds of bugs. I, she's the tough one in the relationship. But this strong mother does not panic. She calls back down to her three-year-old and says, what color is it? And he says, it's black. She goes, okay, I'll be down in a minute. She kind of finishes what she's doing. 
gently climbs down, looks in the box, finds a scorpion, throws it out. And the little, little three-year-old was like, Mommy, like, why weren't you panicked? And she said, a black scorpion is just an inconvenience. A yellow scorpion is an emergency. Yellow scorpion is venomous. Black, black scorpion is basically harmless. And she looked at her kid and she said, so many people in the world are running around treating every inconvenience like it's a crisis. And I thought, there's so much wisdom in that. I think one of the main ways Satan tries to tempt us today in a world where there's so much chaos and fear, every time we turn on the news, every time we, we have a conversation, there's, it's, it's fear, it's chaos, it's panic. And Jesus, the Prince of Peace, comes alongside of us. And I just picture him putting his arm around us saying, not everything's an emergency. Just trust me, walk with me. You as my children don't have to live in fear and panic like the unbelieving world does. We as Christians, I think, should be the most peace-filled people on earth. That doesn't mean we have the most peace-filled circumstances. Because in this life, we're still going to have trouble. We're still going to have chaos. We're still even going to have yellow scorpions that wander into our path. But even when we do, while we have to navigate that with wisdom and with discretion and with protection, we don't do it with panic. Because our God is with us and our God is for us. And the more we have his word in our heart, the more his peace is gonna take root no matter what we're facing. And I know right now at our Grovetown campus, you guys at South Campus, at the Dream Center, those in this room, those watching online, all of us have some things in our life that just overwhelm us. Things that we're praying about that just don't seem to be getting any better. Things that we don't know what to do with it. It feels too heavy for us to carry. But friends, know that God is with you. He sees what you're facing. He cares about the details of your life even more than you do. He sees the future. To him, it's already happened. He's already there. And he's saying, you can trust me. You can trust me with this struggle. You can trust me with your future. And in him, because of him, every struggle, every crisis we'll ever have is a temporary one. But because of Jesus, every bit of joy and peace he gives it will last for eternity. And we'll be able to share that with him forever. From the moment we put our faith and trust in Christ, he's our savior forever. And we don't have to keep worrying anymore the way that the world worries. We pray instead, we trust instead. Yeah, we still have to execute wisdom through this complicated world we live in, but we don't have to let it bring us down. We can rise above because our savior has lifted us up above it. In just a moment, I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray specifically for those of you who are going through a crisis right now, whatever that might look like, even if nobody but you and God sees it, to just know that Jesus is with you in it and he's gonna carry you through. And I also wanna pray for those here today that have not made the best and biggest decision of their lives, which is to let Jesus be your Lord and Savior. He came on a rescue mission for you, for you. He came to save you and all of us need saving. Our sin had us all bound up and apart from Christ, our sin has us all on a one-way course towards an eternity apart from Christ. And that's not the destiny he has for you. He came to save you. He gave his life in your place. And all that's left for you to do is to receive that gift by faith and commit to living for him. And you can do that today. You can make the best decision of your life right now. And it's not just an intellectual, I understand some facts about Jesus. No, 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 no. It, it, the devil understands scripture, but it's surrendering to it. It's saying, Lord, I'm, 
I'm placing my life in your hands. Your word is my authority. I wanna follow you completely. I'm giving you my whole heart. And if you'll do that today, Jesus has already done the rest. And your whole life and your eternity can be safe in his arms. And you can truly walk the footsteps of Jesus for the rest of your life because he will be walking with you wherever you go. Let's stand together. At all of our campuses, let's stand. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to this earth, our fallen, broken world. Thank you for coming on a rescue mission for us. Lord, there are so many here who are hurting today, hurting with health issues and financial struggles and worries about our children and worries about our marriages, hurting because we're waiting on things, God. When are you going to bring that job? When are you going to bring that spouse? But God, we trust that your timing is perfect. We trust that you love us and have good things for us. God, we, we recommit our lives into your hands today and ask that your peace, Jesus, as our Prince of Peace, would guide our steps. God, I pray for healing for those who don't yet know you in this place and all around the world. God, I pray for the city of, of Bethlehem where that city is, is as a whole so far from you, God. Create revival in the hearts of those people. Reveal yourself there, Jesus, and reveal yourself here to us, here in Augusta and Evans and Grovetown and all around the CSRA and beyond. And for all those here in this place, all those watching right now, that have not yet surrendered their life to you, the most important decision they will ever make. Let now be the moment that they stop putting it off, they stop making excuses, and today's the day in their own mind and heart, they pray a simple prayer of faith and say, Jesus, save me. Forgive me of the way I've lived. Adopt me as a son or daughter into your family. Make me into the person I was meant to be. I promise to follow you all the days of my life. And Lord, for those who prayed that prayer, we celebrate welcoming new brothers and sisters into your family forever. And for all of us, God, help us together as a church family continue to walk closer to you, walk in your footsteps, and to point the community around us, our own families, our schools, our offices, towards the love and hope, Jesus, that only you can bring. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand today for his goodness. Friends, it's, it's been a great, start, a great start to July. Be praying for our youth this week and our many youth volunteers who are taking a week off of work to go and minister to the teenagers. It's gonna be a great week. I can't wait to hear the stories. One final thing, if you are interested in making a Holy Land trip yourself, Stevens Creek Church is putting together uh, a trip that will happen soon. There are gonna be some interest meetings coming up. If you're interested, send an email to israel at stevenscreekchurch.com and they'll give you all the info we got. God bless, guys. We'll see you next week.